I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ramdas's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ramdas, Krishnadas, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more. The Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Welcome to Lama Suryadas's Awakening Now podcast. We are very pleased to share with you Lama's unique illumination of the awakened awareness teachings. If you are interested in supporting Lama Suryadas's podcast, please go to beherenownetwork.com/suryadas. Hello, thank you for having me. I know this is a, a little bit uh, strange, but Suryadas asked me to do this, so I, I, I jumped at the opportunity to come and be here, and I, I hope there's something I can give you or something we can give each other or whatever it may be, but I, I thank you for having me. I think it's interesting, whenever you do a comedy show, if you've ever been to a bad comedy show, a bad one, <laughs> it does happen, believe it or not. So much of comedy is just atrocious. I don't... <laughs> A lot of times at the beginning, the host will forget to have the audience applaud. And what's weird about that, what's so effective about doing that when, when we do that at stand-up shows, is it turns the audience in, from a group of individuals into one thing. And doesn't that, I think there's something so kind of fun and spiritual and right up all of our alleys, because this is so close to my heart, about the process of a show. It's this merging, Ramdas talks a lot about this, can we stop losing ourselves in speaker and listener? And the comedian is trying to go up, a good comedian is trying to go up and say, can you stop being Dan and Judy and Beth and become audience? We have that. And then comedian sometimes talks to audience, but then on a really, really good one, audience, comedian merge and become the thing we call show. And that's an amazing thing. And I think that's something wonderful and transcendent, and I love, and that's one of these things that makes it endlessly exciting. So I'm happy. I hope we can blur into one messy, colorful thing. Well, thank you. Yeah. I think yes. Thank you. <laughs> that's all I wanted to say. Thank you so much. We'll see you later. <laughs> yes. Um, I couldn't agree more. And I think one of our main problems is we have in Buddhism in the West is not enough applause for me <laughs> and for ourselves. But isn't there something, the, the, 
I have a joke about how magic is very difficult. It must be difficult to be a magician because there's no sound to make when you see an amazing trick. You just go, ah. <laughs> but with comedy and with applause, there is this built-in biological response. I mean, monkeys do it. Monkeys tickle each other. And there's something so gratifying to be in the business of music. And, and you guys were talking about improv, too, where you're up here and I say something that either unites us or surprises us or delights us. And there's a built-in, isn't that wonderful? There's something built-in like a sneeze or an orgasm where your body goes, <laughs> what an absurd thing to try and wrangle that. If that's not spiritual, I don't know what is, right? I look to you whenever it's spiritual. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm still thinking, if those are the sounds you make when you orgasm? Sometimes. <laughs> if you're lucky, before you die, you'll have a sneezing fit while making love. That is an amazing experience. <laughs> Uh, you know, we're in a very holy place, so I hope you're not going to talk anymore about this thing. <laughs> no, but, never. Um, interestingly enough, since you know, I know you're well versed in Eastern religion, especially Tibetan Buddhism. <laughs> the founder of Tibetan Buddhism, 1,400 years ago, the great saint Padmasambhava said, "There's four crucial moments in life where the clear light dawns, and we should try to pay attention to them." So you want to know what they are? What are they? I'm going to do this myself. <laughs> Wait, four great moments. Okay. What are they? <laughs> One, sneezing. Two, sneezing. No. Sneezing. <laughs> One, sneezing. No. Two, falling asleep. Three, orgasm. When the clear light dawns, don't miss it. And four, the moment of death. So it is a sacred moment, a great, if you look at what's in common, release yes. of our contracted separateness. It's a, that's beautiful. And that's the moment. So it, you know, maybe maybe sneezing could be our new practice. <laughs> I have some horseradish if you need it. I think there's something really interesting. If you want to know what someone believes, sometimes the last person you can trust is them. Like you can't really ask them what they believe. But if you can feel around, it's kind of like a doctor with a mallet tapping and see what they actually reflexively respond to. And I think that's what's so exciting about when two people laugh at the same thing. You feel like, oh, I found another one. You know what I mean? You get a little glimpse of what's really inside of them. And I know sometimes it comes from silly things. Like I do joke about orgasms and I do joke about all these things that the comedian is supposed to kind of go into those corners that maybe a pastor isn't supposed to. But I think there's something actually deeply psychologically and maybe even spiritually edifying about joking about things that you're not supposed to talk about. You and I share this in common talking about death. I used to drive to shows. I'd be going to like Fargo, uh, North Dakota to do some technical college at noon, like an air conditioning repair school at noon. And all my jokes, I'm like, they're not gonna get these references. They're not gonna like me. They're not gonna love me, all this stuff. And what I would tell myself on the way in is, everyone dies, everyone dies. And you'd go up and you'd go, I don't care if you're studying air conditioner repair, you still on some level are uncertain what we're doing here, where we're going, why. It doesn't matter how intelligent you are or, or where you're from or what, what your hobbies are, everybody can kind of bond over that. So I used to tell this joke about, it was my opener, 
was I was like, I was driving on a long, scary, dark road, and I don't know if you've ever been driving on a long, scary, dark road, and for no reason, all of a sudden, you're just convinced there's a psycho axe murdering killer. <laughs> Not outside, but tucked away in the back seat. <laughs> I'm not the only one. See, that's great. You'll just be driving. I won't even hear a noise. Just all of a sudden, I'll be like, wait a minute. I bet it's Jack back there. Exactly. And that is humanity. We, we can go to the moon. We can do all these wonderful things. We can transcend and grow and change. And, but we can also drive with one hand and with the other reach behind <laughs> and check for a murderer. What are you going to do if you do feel a magazine and then a face? Just a warm face and a hook hand, I would have rather been surprised. I don't want a heads up that I'm about to be murdered. Because what am I going to do? Recline the seat real fast? Get him car sick? Turn up the radio? You're dead. And that's what I would always open with. And no matter, there's a lot of people that do stand-up that's personal, and if you're old, I'm 36, or if you have children, you, you care about different things. But there was something very unifying about going, we were all born, we all forgot our birth, and now we're all here, and we're all acting. Like Ramdas says, we're all just stuck in these roles and these dramas, and we're just like, hello, I'm a dentist. And you're like, can you believe what my dentist said? He's a dentist. And everyone's like, ha, ha, ha. And it feels fun to poke fun at the, at the melodrama, as he always says, at the play. But I think there's something liberating happening when we can laugh at everything, when you can just laugh and be stupid and make tear down everything and be left with nothing. That's zen, right? That's fairly zen. <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> But do we, humor is one of the greatest ways to burst our egotism, really, our self-seriousness, taking ourselves in life so seriously and overly believing what we believe, that this is real and what we think is it. So I think humor, you know, like lightening up, it is enlightening up. And it bursts the illusion that we seem stuck with. So obviously, you know, life ain't much fun if we take ourselves too seriously. That's right. So that's why I love to bring the funny into the serious, also because these great existential issues, like you mentioned, Pete, that we all wonder about what we're doing here and death or other things. Will we see our loved ones after we die? Or why do bad things happen to good people? Religion has taken on such a grim and intimidating face in the modern and postmodern times. So I really do think we have to um, friendly it up a little bit and also friend each other up. So yeah. I love what you said about the audience and. The, the comedian in, in your parlance uh, emerging. I, it reminds me of the oldest Ameri uh, the oldest Japanese Zen master in the West, Suzaki Roshi, who just died a few years ago, age 102, in LA. Mm. He said that the American meditation practice is hugging. Mm. <laughs> I thought that was awesomely funny, beyond funny, from a great Japanese Zen master. Not from you, who doesn't want to meditate for a week without a silence. Not from me, who's kind of lazy. Yes. Hug, hugging. Well, Seinfeld, who was a big Zen guy, always would talk uh, in interviews about how funny a lot of these Zen teachings were. And he told this one in particular that I remember, where a young student, they all start with a young student, Young student wants to learn, so he goes to all the great masters. He goes to five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten amazing Zen masters, and then he the hears. Student didn't come to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm to the full disclosure. So how I'm good could he be? Yeah. 
I'll and he would go on with your store, your version. <laughs> I'll make you the great master. Master. Then he hears of Lama Surya Das, the greatest master. <laughs> and most humble. <laughs> the most humble, the jolly Lama himself. In, he finds, he hears about the one master <laughs> that he hasn't studied with. And he goes to him and he says, Master, I've been to everyone, but you're, you're Lama Surya Das, you're the greatest one that there's ever been. Please, will you teach me? And the master says, of course I'll teach you, but first let's have some tea. And they, he gives him his teacup and he starts pouring it and he, it fills up and then he keeps pouring it and it starts spilling over and over and over. And then he, and the guy goes, what are you doing? And the master says, well, I, how can you put more in? It's already full. You understand that? This is like you. You're a full cup and I can't add any more tea to you. You need to empty yourself a little bit. And, and Seinfeld was like, that's a joke. That's a joke. That's comedy. Like a guy, that's literally slapstick. That's like an old joke. I gotta be like, this is like you, staring at him while he does it. Yeah, I can teach you getting on his leg. That's comedy. That's so fun and funny. And I really like the way that we can kind of uh, see that even in these great traditions. Well, that's one of the games that masters play. Is I think there's even a book about this, how masters do these iconoclastic or idea bending um, games like that. Like the Zen master, you would think, would be very neat and meticulous and mindful, mm. but um, making a mess. Exactly. To break through somebody's concept of know-it-all, which is really ourselves. But you talk about when you were with Maharaji and you guys were all rascals. You talked about being rascals. A little rascal. And <laughs> you called them the little rascals. He wasn't aware of the show. He was doing his own material. <laughs> and he called you rascals. And I think there's something so funny about these liberating, liberated people like Maharaji laughing and playing and giggling at everything. Ramdas says, after all these years, what I'm left with is the giggle. It wasn't some great teaching. It was an awareness. It was a presence. It was an open heart, certainly. Those are all just words. But it was this guy with a twinkle in his eye laughing at everything. I think that, I, I'm, I'm not enlightened, I dip in and out just like you. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, sometimes I'm there and other times I'm like, I want ice cream or whatever. <laughs> I'm a vegan, I should have picked a different example. <laughs> I want vegan ice cream. But anyway, there's something, I think I know what it might feel like, and we talked about this when you did my podcast, to be enlightened is that I think we've all had that dream where you're back in high school and there's a test and you've been skipping that class all year and that's a terrible dream. And I'll just talk, tell you about mine. I have it pretty frequently. You're like, oh, I gotta find someone's notes or I don't even know where that class is in the bowels of the high school. They're gonna be mad, I'm gonna fail, I'm gonna stay back. And if you lucid dream, which I, I sometimes do, or if you wake up, either way, that moment when you realize, I'm not, I'm not in high school. <laughs> Screw all of this. Like, I don't need this book. I don't need this test. And if you're lucid dreaming, I'm gonna fly. I'm gonna fly away. That to me is like just the smallest taste of what it might feel like to be a Maharaji, to be like giggling at everything and seeing the Leela in everything. The first time Ramdas, then Richard Alpert took psilocybin, remember, I'm sure all of you know the story, or some of you, he went and shoveled his parents' walkway, and they thought he was out of his mind, but he heard that voice in his head say, there are no rules, right on, baby, shovel snow, it's okay. I think he did it in the middle of the night. In the middle, I believe it was like four in the morning, he and you know, I have parents from Boston too, I can only imagine 
just the language they used when they told him to go home, not polite. <laughs> and he, he knew that it was just, this was just a dream, and you can shovel snow if you want, and I don't have to get to that test. And, I, and that's why I'm obsessed with that freedom. And when you can get people laughing, if you can get people, strangers laughing about something like the fear of a, a killer in your back seat and go, oh, I thought that was just me, that, that unity there, that feeling of like, oh, I don't need these books anymore, I don't need these chains anymore, I'm gonna be a little bit lighter, because I know, on a very base psychological level, the alpha of the group, the person under the lights, whose voice is amplified, I'm, a, I'm also quite tall, oh, he's the leader, and he's also afraid, it's okay to be afraid sometimes, you know what I'm saying? And everybody <sighs> relaxes a little bit. I have a bet I, I would never do in a church, but it's about how I'm a man and I don't always want to have sex. I, I think that's this whole huge imposition put on men. It's like, oh, I know what he wants. And I do this bit where I'm like, I don't want to have sex. I just heard a song that made me think of my father. Get out of my house. You know what I mean? Like, you can't paint me with that brush. I'm not an orangutan. Do you understand? And I say in a bit at the Funny Bone in South Bend, Indiana, I go, I am a spirit. You can't paint me with that. I'm not an animal, do you understand? And you hear, you see men on dates with neck tattoos and strong cocktails crying with laughter because they know that narrative was imposed on them just like all of them. Your gender was forced on you, your nationality, all these things that we didn't even choose. Then we all go around, as Ram Dass would say, if you don't disturb my ego, I won't disturb yours. And then there's a great opportunity, there's also a terrible thing that happens, where, where sometimes the comedian doesn't take that opportunity and instead does the opposite. This is why I actually hate most comedy, and I have to watch a lot of it because I'm waiting to go on. My, my girlfriend and I, uh, uh, that's Valerie right there, we were at the improv in Hollywood, and the guy on stage was talking about how women want to be equal until there's a, a bill comes or something. Yeah, you can lie, I guess that's, that's somewhat funny. But it, it felt repressive, it felt going backwards. You know what I mean? It was like, oh, you all want to be treated equal unless there's trouble or something. It's like, okay, great. And I just went on stage and it was so gross to me the way that he was, I, I said, remember, first of all, I went on to Beyonce, I had them blast Beyonce, because I was like, we need some female empowerment in here. <laughs> And then I just started talking, and really what, what was bothering me was this guy perpetuating that story. You're a woman, okay? The man is dominant. The man will pay for your meal. And it's not just that I want men and women to be equal. I want us to realize that we are awareness. And I, I try saying stuff like this on stage, and you would be surprised at how many people laugh. They might not even understand. These are our words. This is our little group. And we go, awareness and consciousness and Maharaji. And a lot of people don't know what those things are. But sometimes you say it anyway, and you see very surprising people go, that's right. We talked about, you're in your 60s, which is amazing, meditation. <laughs> and, co and coconut oil. <laughs> just a radiant man. And I don't mean your spirit, just good looking. <laughs> We see people, even non-spiritual people know that you are awareness, that you are this thing. And I asked uh, Suryadas, I said, does your awareness feel any older than when you were a teenager? And of course it doesn't. I asked my mother, she's 72, I said, mom, does your awareness feel any older? And this is one of those things that just, 
isn't being discussed. This is why old people don't want to stop driving. They feel the same. They feel the same. It's this great betrayal. It's happening to all of us. Or we can stop associating with the bulb and be the light up high. <laughs> <laughs> But, is it, but look, Surya Das just did my podcast. It's a comedy podcast. Do you understand? So as long as I can get him to talk about uh, masturbation, you know, something that we're not supposed to talk about, if I can talk about the, the light of God being in all things and, and talk about drugs or whatever it is that I need to do to kind of get it in that category, it doesn't matter. Still, here are hundreds of thousands of people that are going to hear him speak that wouldn't have heard him speak because they like comedy, but they don't like the spiritual trip. They don't like religion, and it's, and it's a wash. But then there's this great play and this experiment where it's like, well, what's happening under this joke? What are we really saying under this joke? And, and to see people get liberated or just a little bit more free in a way that they didn't expect, when does it happen? When does it not happen in a way you didn't expect? You know what I'm saying? I'm going around waiting still. I know his body is gone. I'm still waiting to meet Maharaji. I do. And it's not going to happen. And when I was in Maui with you, I remember we were talking. It's never going to, it's not going to happen the way it happened for someone else. So what a great thing to see that maybe it's, it's going to happen in a comedy club where you're a little bit drunk with your weird girlfriend who's heckling. That might be weird. <laughs> but George Carlin, I know I'm yammering a lot. No, don't George Carlin talks about the softening quality of a laugh, too. And this is why, and I know I talk about Ramdas a lot, but I think Ramdas is quite funny. And I think there's something that happens that kind of knocks your consciousness open a little bit if you can laugh. Because it is that, I don't buy that you are who you say you are, but if I get you laughing, you start getting a picture of who you really are. And in that moment, and this is why it's so wonderful that you're so funny, you, it's not that we're trying to be sneaky, but there's a softness and an opening. There's an expansive, even physiologically, something is expanding in you and you're laughing and you're more vulnerable. And it's not sneaking something in that's unwelcome. It's not something toxic. It's, a, it's imagine just putting something on that vehicle that might be nutritious. Can we, can we get some nutrition with all the candy and the, and the lights and the music and stuff? So I think that's really fun. Well, there's a great freedom and fearlessness in it and pushing the boundaries and being exposed and not editing and, and all, which is what I really appreciate. But, th you know, you're, you're way off script, so to bring you back to the script here, and I'm getting messages from our producers, my sponsors also. You heard the word masturbation, not more of that. I mean, we're in a church. We're in St. Dan's. I mean, please. Anyway, um, <laughs> since you brought up dreams and you're a big uh, daydreamer, yeah. um, uh, probably you remember that um, the great old Taoist sage of China, Chang Su, he told the story where he had a dream where he was a butterfly flying around a river, and then he woke up, and later in the day he was hanging out with his friends, La uh, Lao Tzu and the other Mencius, the other great sages of China, and he saw a butterfly flying over the river under the bridge that they were standing on. There's even a lot of paintings of this, the three great sages of China, and the story may relate to it. And Chang Su says, and this is the punchline, so listen up, friends. <laughs> Last night I had a dream that I was a butterfly flying over this river, 
And now I'm wondering, am I a man dreaming? Was I a man dreaming I was a butterfly? Or am I now a butterfly dreaming that I'm a man with men standing on the bridge? Mm. That's good. Am I a man dreaming I was a butterfly? <laughs> I think this is why I practice noble silence and meditation. No! And improv comedians. No, no, no! But sometimes you hear it something just shows the go I say back to our script. <laughs> you know what's funny? Uh, you made me think of a, of a joke of mine. It's that one of the things that that does is it makes us question what is. It's like miracle stories. It makes us question what is. You go, is that true? And whether or not it's true, it leaves you with, well, what is true? Am I? And that. And I think what maybe withheld the laugh, at least in me, was that I was just kind of soaking in that conundrum. I'm not sure if I am a butterfly dreaming this right now. But I hope he doesn't wake up right now because this is a lot of fun. No, but back to our script. Perhaps you're Maharaji dreaming that you're a young, uh, whatever you are, 32-year-old, you know, comedian in LA with an HBO series coming up. Yeah. Rather than that you are who you think you are, Pete, the home boy, the homie. <laughs> the homie. The homie. Yeah. Who's doing great success in Hollywood, becoming someone, as we were talking about the other day, putting yourself out there. Yeah. Maybe you're Maharaji. You know, maybe you're one of God's pseudopods, false events of pseudopods. Yeah. Or maybe you're like the Pete the Holmes Muppet, Muppet, and Mahatmaj Maharaji's hands inside you yeah. and me. Yeah. And where's the other tall guy? <laughs> Rich. And yeah. each and all of us, fingers of the same Muppet. Yeah. Whose hand is inside? Whose hand do we see in all of this Leela or this activity? I just wrote. Who's doing what around here? I have no idea. <laughs> I just wrote this down though. I said we're all Kermit trying to wake up, wake up to the inner Jim Henson, which is true. See, I didn't get a laugh sometimes too, because <laughs> if they're too deep, Jerry Seinfeld talks about jokes being like a chasm, and if it's too close, remember we talked about that. If they're too close, here's the setup, here's the punchline. If they're too close, there's no titillation, so that might be too obvious of a point. And if they're too far, the audience falls in. Isn't that kind of like a fun way to think about a joke? If you tell a joke and it doesn't work. That could be why. But the joke that you made me think of about what is, is I like to say, what is sleep? I'm like, what is going on? We all just assume sleep is normal because we've done it our whole lives. But you see what's going on there? We're trying to corrode everything that we're assuming, but we're just going after sleep. And I say, how I couldn't explain sleep to an alien that doesn't sleep. I could explain food. I'd be like, well, I need food because uh, it has energy, so I eat it, and then I use the energy that it has. Alien's like, okay, anything else? I'm like, yeah. At night, I just gotta shut it down. <laughs> Regardless of how much energy I've had, I need to lay still in the dark and I remain. Boy, I will remain one for like eight, nine, boy. <laughs> Sometimes. We llamas don't sleep at all. <laughs> This is so clear. I mean, queer. Clear. Queer. Something. But I couldn't explain it. I lay in the dark for 12 hours. He's like, that sounds boring. I'm like, no, my brain plays movies that I'm in. <laughs> and so I. <laughs> You're shitting me. Hey. I didn't know. You're shitting me. Earthling. 
But it must be one of those funny people from California. <laughs> Thanks. The fringe. Uh, I'll never not do that bit and not see your face with your alien. <laughs> you will now be going on the road with me, wherever you are. <laughs> I'll be doing that bit. I'll be reaching in the back, checking out the action. <laughs> I, I wanted to uh, be, my mom thought I was gonna be a youth pastor when I was a kid. Because I look like a youth pastor, don't I? Yeah. <laughs> she what? She didn't know who the father was? She knew who the father was. What did, you... did I miss here? I'm getting a little old. Uh, no, she oh, pastor! Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not a youth bastard. Oh, Misunderstanding is one of the best ways to get a joke. I swear that it's wonderful. But I, I, I became a mother. Well, I became a comedian. It's all about I know. Tell me about it. God, I unloaded on you. You did. I had a lot of. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure you can all relate. You I have. Had a you have to tell that story about. I'll tell you which one. But I was talking about how. It, it gives me a lot of pain, or to use our language here, a lot of suffering, because I see my mom kind of caught in the same kind of cycle, and then I will find someone like you, or someone like Ramdas, or whatever, and I mean, is anyone in this camp where you send books to your parents, or, or lectures, and, and they don't read them, and you can tell because iTunes lets you know when they download it? <laughs> And at a certain point, you just have to kind of let go, but it still causes me a lot of pain. And you told the story about how do I get my family to meditate? Would you tell that story? Yes. Um, the great Suzuki Roshi, founder of San Francisco Zen Center, back in the 70s, and he was a great old Japanese master, he, he was talking about um, family and community and practicing together. And somebody in the audience asked the master, uh, how do we get our mate to meditate or join with us or our family or our parents or our sister and our brethren. And the master, who spoke English but broken English, I don't want to imitate him, but it wouldn't be um, respectful. He was a great master. But he said, in short, one in the family is enough. <laughs> and the whole room went, oh. That's a joke. That's yes, yes. I wanted you to tell it again because the pressure is off. I have a very specific knot in my neck that detenses when I hear you say that. I'm going to put it on my fridge. One in family is enough. I think that's wonderful. Yes. The power of one. Yeah. And this morning we had somebody who was talking about their mother and then not accepting them and what they're doing here. And I won't point to them to protect the innocent. You know, what happens here? Wherever we are, St. Anne stays in St. Anne. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I think it's relevant to all of us to understand, you know, when we're younger, our parents are always trying to get us to change, whether it's giving us books or whatever. And then later, we grow up and we start giving it back to them, trying to get them to change, yeah. to understand us, to join us, to appreciate us, to think like we think. So it's more the same, it doesn't solve the problem, it's just trying to solve the problem with the same level of consciousness that created it doesn't work, as we, as we know. So we have to make a hyper jump or hyperlink to another level of consciousness, like accepting 
that you know, the unconditional love and acceptance that we don't have to change and we can love them as they are, or any way we can come to it. Mm. We don't have to do it back to them. Let's break this cycle of the gift that keeps on misgiving. <laughs> well, you told me that I kept joining my mother in her delusion, which changed my life. So I got in this argument, she just visited, and we got in an argument in the middle of me kind of explaining some of these beliefs that I'm saying with us, well, that we're sharing here. So that's as contrary. Sometimes I'll be listening to Kirtan in my car and someone will cut me off and I'll yell something horrible at them and then right back to Jiram Jiram, you know what I mean? I'm like, oh man, I'm not, yeah, exactly, Katie for sure, because he gets it. Katie's like, yeah, that guy's an asshole, you know, he understands, he's mad at the car too. But I feel the same way, like I was losing my mom and, and, and we both were feeling pain. But it's that idea, you know, Ram Dass talks about being a space where they can do the work they need to do if they need to. But I have no idea how to do that, because once I get with my mom and she's having two cosmos and uh, so we're all reverting back to our old roles and just playing it out, it's the craziest repeat of the same track. I don't really know practically how to surrender and relax. Well, Ramdas used to say, and he was a mentor to all of us, he was older when we were in our ashram in India with Maharaj, a great saint. Um, he always used to say, if you think that you've gotten vastly enlightened or free or liberated or purified or open and loving, go home and spend a few days, not just a few hours, with your family boarders. You sit in the same chair at the kitchen table and see how enlightened you are. Yeah. <laughs> I so, yeah, it's the same. But I have my own little strategies. Now, you know, we could talk about in many different ways about changing your consciousness rather than moving the deck chairs around on the Titanic. Mm -hmm. But when I go home, I try not to sit in, sit in the same chair at the table. Is that true? For example, yeah, I move around a little bit, <laughs> so I don't because that run is too deep. How many years I I spent sitting there as the first child, the oldest son? Opposite my father. That's great. And the other gender on the side of the table. Yeah. So um, you're allowed to, you know. Well, that's like Do a stuff. little tweaking. That's you know, I'm just accepted as it is all the time. That's I don't need this book. I don't have a test. That's I'm going to sit over here. But I think that will freak my parents out. <laughs> <laughs> They're big people. They develop, uh, deal with it. You don't have to take care of them. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's nice, but. Don't be a caretaker, be a caregiver. It's a gift you can give them to deal with it and each other and still love you and you're visiting. So let them deal with that. Maybe we'll have a third Cosmo and they'll forget it. <laughs> uh, that's, a <laughs> that's a guarantee. That's a guarantee. You need a couple. <laughs> oh, believe me, I'm right there with her. But also, you know, visitors like fish start to stink after a few days. So maybe not staying there that long is another way of visiting or you go with your girlfriend. Yeah. I think yep. And you stay somewhere else. Well, that is it in an adult way, and then you leave when it's time for you to go. You and Valerie be, you know, back in your car and your relationship, not just child and yeah. unwed child in law. That's right. In your parents' world. I don't mean to, uh, well, I'm going to do it anyway. You're, you're mentioning great Zen masters. I'll mention Chilvis people. It was, it was Conan O'Brien who also lives in Massachusetts. We had dinner and I was losing my mind because oh, my parents are driving me crazy. And he said what you said basically. He was like, "You gotta stay in a hotel. Like it's it's, a, <laughs> it's time. It's like what my therapist is. He's like, Pete, you have a credit card. Go get a hotel. 
But don't you see, that's yeah. a mini enlightenment there too. It's like, I'm not in high school anymore. Am I allowed? I'm allowed? I'm a person. Look, I can move through time and space. I have to rent a car and have to have a parental unit pick me up. That's right. Or agree to drive me when it's time to leave. That's right on shovel snow right there. I love that. <laughs> Makes me happy. I do a joke about when people point to God, if you, if you hit a free throw or you win an award, people will point out to God because God's in the sky. That's where we've agreed that God is. And because God has helped them do it. And because God helped them do it. Certainly it's with a nice intent, I guess. Or, well, I mean, that God's on our side. Oh, yeah. It's a little complicated, but interesting. It does get complicated. <laughs> but we love it. We love seeing a winner point to the winning God. <laughs> yeah. That's the real one. But you point to the sky, because that's where the sky is. But we're on a planet. 360, which means the sky is that way, too. I hope one of you is stoned, just so you <laughs> The sky <laughs> <laughs> we need a lot of props to get enlightened today. <laughs> I'm honored to have a joke gone. I won't make you say the joke. Oh, let me give you the second punchline and then you yeah, gone. Okay, I want to win a Golden Globe just so I can go on stage and go, I want to thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. <laughs> so you don't have to do that? That would be too much. Well, that would <laughs> Well, then I go, in your face, the devil. Yeah. <laughs> You're bound for that. <laughs> Thank you. Usually I only give 50% whenever anybody says. <laughs> but I think that's an interesting. Do you think that's an interesting joke? It's weird that no. I think my own joke is interesting. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> then I talk about. It's interesting. I'd like to make this into a cartoon. I'm in the cartoon mode. Yeah. I think it would be a good cartoon. I sent you a cartoon. If you win a Super Bowl, I, I can't think of who is a very Christian player right now, but there used to be Deion Sanders or Reggie White. And he's a... <laughs> <laughs> well, in Hollywood, we could do that, and everyone would be like, yeah, yeah. all right. <laughs> I think that's really fun. Oh, oh, I sent you a cartoon this morning, and I want to tell them because you made it better. I, Lama Suryadas likes cartoons, and I've done some cartoons for The New Yorker, so that was one of the first things that we bonded over, and he was showing me his wonderful cartoons, and I told him some, and I thought of one this morning. It's based on uh, Ramdas, actually. So it's a guy looking at his phone, and he's looking kind of sad, and the caption is, my guru doesn't follow me on Twitter. <laughs> and that's based on Ramdas. He does not follow me on Twitter. Yeah, that's, that's salty so dog. How can you do that? How can you I'm sure. <laughs> and then, do you remember what you said? Of course. I think LSD improved it. He said. My answer back, I, I, I texted back, was guru says. <laughs> I follow myself with a capital S. I follow Who myself. Who follows myself with a capital S? I thought that was right on. wasn't too shabby. I For an instant, you know, I was well, supposed to be meditating. <laughs> <laughs> I'm honored to have distracted your practice. The fact that I think that's a really funny joke, too. I think that I think those could be two panels. And those could be two panels. I follow myself. I think that's really deep. <laughs> well, you did it. I have some homemade jokes, but I'm a little intimidated to bring them out in front of this august 
practically autumnal, wintry audience. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you carry on with the script? No, he keeps teasing because we didn't prepare at all. We've done, we've done no prep, as, as you can tell. It's just, so as, as you all know, and I won't give you, you know, the entire provenance of the lineage of Humbugatu, but in the self-inquiry tradition of non-Hula Vedanta of India, coming from Ramana Maharshi, oops, slipped into that. <laughs> the big question, the whole meditation, the main practice, this is serious, as you, you know, friend, is who am I? Who am I? Mente, who am I? Am I the body? Am I the, you know, the mind? Am I the thoughts? Who am I when I'm dreaming? Who am I if I'm dead? Who's experiencing, you know, what am I, who am I? The big identity question. Mm. So I come home from India and I'm visiting my parents in North Valley Stream, 40 minutes from JFK Airport, very convenient. My father's picking me and Krishna Das up and drives him home in Roslyn, Jeff Kangle, Jeff Miller come home, the Valley Stream. And so I stayed for a couple of days, testing my enlightenment as it were, visiting my parents after a few years in India. And I'm sitting in the corner of my kitty room upstairs, my teenage room, with the sports equipment and the 007 lamp climbing novels and all that stuff. And a few um, pipes and other paraphernalia. When you are probably who can remember, I didn't inhale. I swallowed it all. Anyway, back to our script. We're getting that message again. And I'm meditating like a house of fire. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? I'm just a few miles from the shul, Temple Gates of Zion, the synagogue for you, Goyim, where I was with Bob Mitzvah, Temple Gates of Zion, the synagogue a few miles away. Who am I in my Jewish parents' house sitting upstairs? Who am I? My mother's probably making the chicken soup and matzah balls for Friday night dinner. Who am I? Who am I? And finally, after years in India, it comes to me. Why me? <laughs> <laughs> That's the first time I really told you that you know the comedy club like this. That's great. Yeah. You already said you hate the most comedy. You have to listen to it all the time. So I'm sorry to inflict you know my my so-called comedy on you. No, I like I like what you're doing a lot. <laughs> I like your style. Makes you look good, huh? <laughs> Please, I'm trying to keep up. I'm trying my best to keep up. Oh, that's what my mom said. So I become a comedian instead of a youth pastor. She said, close enough. <laughs> that idea of getting in front of people and trying to make them feel a little bit lighter, a little bit more connected. But, you know, there is that responsibility. What What is the message underneath what you're saying? It could be, I think there's a lot of power to isolate people, actually, and divide people a little bit more whenever, whenever you're speaking in front of people. So, I like what you're doing better. I'm thinking about that downside of the, the power to isolate and uh, separate. But um, back to the happy, uh, the happy yeah. show. The happy <laughs> because I'm into, as you know, focusing on the 75% of the glass that's full, not the 50% that's empty. <laughs> that's for sure. Well, tell me your cartoon. I thought that's what you were going to say. I'll, I'm going to tell it. This is your cartoon, though. Okay. There's a monk. And he's looking in the mirror. He's staring at himself in the mirror. Did you already show this one? No, I, nobody's seen my cartoons. Oh, okay. the you're, first two just came out in Tricycle Magazine, the spring issue. You're missing out. So you have to do some work. So if you don't laugh, it's your fault. It's a monk. 
looking in the mirror, and underneath it says, letter I, eye exam. Come on. That's very good, very good. That's ready for the New Yorker, come on. By a real llama? Yes, it is probably the first time that a llama has published any cartoon. This is proof that we're in the decadent age. And, and the other cartoon that's in there, I mean, the good thing about my cartoons is they're very easy to talk and demonstrate. Because mostly I think about that in my mind when I'm talking and teaching, so I tell it. So it's two panels, if you're familiar with cartoons. Two panels. And the first one is warrior pose. Think yoga, warrior pose. And the second one is... Warrior pose. Warrior. 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 <laughs> I know. These are good. These are good. good. Hidden talents. Well, you, if this llama gig doesn't work out, I'm thinking of knocking you off of your stage at the comedy Please, anytime. coming on over. I mean, Moon Conan is so old. <laughs> you you want to bump over. You can bump me at the improv. You can make $15 on the Thursday as well. I went the other day to meet him at the Meltdown Comics show, and that's where he does his podcast. And, yeah. You know, we thought we'd have a little chat, and how long did we take? Two hours. We talked for two hours. It was awesome. It's it's fun to you know you got to get an excuse to uh, to meet your heroes instead and be like please sit in a small room with me and we'll record it so it's you know it, you'll benefit as well but really I'm just like ha, ha, gotcha <laughs> but we talked about that you know Richard Rohr last time I was in this church was watching Richard Rohr does anybody know Richard Rohr he's amazing he's really really great and he was speaking in here. And, he and I'm talking about your talent here for comedy and for, for cartoons in particular. And he says that the purpose of life, or at least one of the meanings of life, I love what he says, is to humbly and proudly return what you've been given. I think there's something so lovely. Obviously, we all know that you are the light coming out of the slide, slide projector, but there are all these funny little slides. New York, Jewish, you know, tall, good-looking, handsome, yeah, shiny. <laughs> Coconut oil, but it's fun to, to to identify each of those and go silly, silly llama. You're a silly. There's is there anything better? Is there anything better than silly? I'll tell you. I didn't really realize this, but my ex-wife. This is another slide. We didn't even talk about that. I didn't know. My ex-wife Kathy pointed out to me. Sir, you want to go play with your your grandnephew over there? like two playing on the floor and I was sitting at the table in New York with the family as you're supposed to do when you visit. And she said, go and play with your grandnephew. That's like your favorite thing to do. I had to hear it from somebody else. How I love being silly and making faces and creeping mm -hmm. around and rolling around and wrestling and, yes. you know, talking baby talk. And that was like my favorite thing to do. So that's why I'm a Dharma teacher. Well, my friend Rob Bell tells a story about seeing Desmond Tutu meet the Dalai Lama here, your homeboy. And he says when they met, they hugged each other, and then he, he, they were behind him, so then he'd hear like, because they were tickling each other. 
That's that's shoveling snow. That's being silly. That's being. I haven't heard that. Yeah. But I'll see you with Desmond Tutu in a Dalai Lama story. Sure. And I'll raise you, the president of Yale, and Dalai Lama, on Halloween in New Haven at Yale College, where they were giving His Holiness some kind of, you know, honorary degree or something very um, important and serious and high and mighty, which the Dalai Lama is uh, fits. So the president of Yale and the dean and whoever was the hosting, faculty people were, went and knocked on the Dalai Lama. This is a true story. Halloween, Yale, New Haven, and knocked on the Dalai Lama's door in the VIP quarters of the hotel where they put people. And they knocked on the door. Remember, it's about after dinner, it's 7 o'clock, Halloween evening, New Haven, <laughs> Yale, Ivy League. And they knocked on the door. And the, Usually, if you knock on Dalai Lama's door, you know, one of his monk or attendant monks opens it. The Dalai Lama opened the door, and he was wearing a Groucho Marx mask. You know? <laughs> <laughs> the Dalai Lama of Tibet, I'm not joking. I mean, you can't do better than that. That's right. This That's is who is here to receive his honorary doctorate, <laughs> which is great. And now I'm going to take it off, but thank you very much. I love it's it. Halloween. That's, I Let's love not be it. too serious. Yes. I, you guys were talking about improv, isn't that right? Didn't somebody ask about improv earlier? Yes. And dance? I would love to share just one quick thought about improv. I think there's something, something so weird. If you tape improv, and they're, they're always trying this and air it on TV, it never works quite as well. Because there is something kind of communal and very present Participatory. Participatory. Even in your silence, you're contributing to the show. Every laugh is a vote for the direction that the improv the should take. The body language and the energy. Absolutely, you can feel it. with you against you Exactly. <laughs> and, and obviously everybody that knows anything about improv knows that the main tenet of improv is yes and. It's this yeah, agreement and going with it. But isn't that exactly one of the things that's underneath so much of what I feel like we're talking about? That's life. Is life saying, exactly. And, say, <laughs> and saying yes to the moment. And then adding to it. No. <laughs> <laughs> or you could do no but. You could do no but. But I think that idea, again, Richard Rohr says his definition of love is says love is learning to say yes to what is. And when you're watching improv, you and I might be doing a scene, and the suggestion is barbershop. And I come out and I think it'll be really funny if I cut your hair. But as soon as I get back to you, you say, oh boy, I haven't had a massage in so long. I don't know why you decided to go that way. But there's something therapeutic and calming and salving for the audience to see two people, it's the same as dance, who could be fighting, who could be using their energy to argue, contradict, debate, push against. But instead, I start rubbing your shoulders and say, well, you're, you're, you've never had a massage like this before. Why do we laugh at that? Because we're delighting in agreement. We're delighting in, it's the same thing. Val and I just watched uh, a play and a dance troupe open. So it wasn't spiritual dance, it was just modern dance. But to see people, I just, I, I sometimes delight just in that you're moving. You know what I mean? There's your finger moving. I'm like, ah, that's, that's true. I can trip out on just that. But imagine these people get up and took the time to practice something elegant and delicate and beautiful. And they, and they polish it and they get, and that's what they spent their time with doing. Not making signs that say, God hates bags. Dancing. <laughs> I started crying. I, I, I love crying. I'm, I'm a big softie. But 
why. I, it, it was truly transcendent. It wasn't what I was thinking. It was just watching people move, and that is agreement. Someone picking up somebody else is, is, is agreement, and we love that. It makes us laugh. As a stand-up, if I make a mistake and then acknowledge it and tear the veil between me and you, often everyone will jolt up. The show will be taken to the next level because I've shown you that it's not me trying to make you laugh, it's me inviting you to laugh at what I laugh at, and I'm asking you to help me make something, a third thing that's bigger than us, instead of insisting my way on you, and insisting that I nail it just right, and then I'll leave and go, man, I, I did a good job tonight. If, I, if I'm willing to surrender that to get us in agreement, something happens that stirs people that's far greater than the, the sum of its parts. And I think improv is one of the reasons why I'm, I'm hesitant to think it will ever work as a TV thing, even though in short form, like Whose Line Is It Anyway and stuff, it's definitely funny. But I'm talking about those long improv scenes that feel like church services, that people really, it feels like we're around the fire and we're putting on tribal masks or painting ourselves and everybody's like, yes, he's, he's the pigeon king and I'm, I'm the queen of the deep. You know what I mean? And everyone's like, that happened. And what happened? <laughs> A group of people all got on the same page and, and we're so craving that. Most of my friends are atheists and I see an ache in them. We're all looking for that sort of community and that blending and that agreement that I, I, I think there's a real, not to evangelize, but there's a wonderful opportunity to find that in non-traditional places. And there, as you said, is the hand of God in this unlikely, in this unlikely place. In an improv show strewn with obscenity that would make my mother question why I was ever there. And I'm tearing up because I'm watching people agree, even if the scene is, is risque or blue. How gorgeous is that? How, how could it find you in the way that it found my mom? It should find you in the basement of a grocery store for a $5 cover and some bad improv or, or that turns good at the end. I, I think that's really exciting. And that's why I'm excited doing stuff like this. What is this? This is transrational. This, is, this doesn't make any sense. A llama and a comedian sitting up here and all of us talking, this was, he just asked me to do this. <laughs> That's absurd! I'm starting to regret it. Maybe <laughs> we can turn back now. But the more things we can do that don't make sense. A mom and a comedian walked into a bar for church. <laughs> Starts with a bad joke. Everyone knew the comedian, no one knew the lawn. Yeah. <laughs> do you drink? Sure. You drink mindfully, or you just get blood out. <laughs> I drink with my mouth. <laughs> I don't know why you're not laughing. I say, do you drink mindfully? He goes, I drink with my mouth. That's funny. Sometimes you got to stay on top of them. <laughs> you got to be rough with them. Yeah. I'm teasing. That's interesting. I like the rough dharma. I was gonna say, he likes the rough dharma. I like rough. Yeah, rough dharma while sneezing. That's that's where it's at. Is there anything? No, this is a tough crowd, so you know. Used to rough stuff. I think you're wonderful. I. Is there anything you'd like to talk about about comedy? Just if I could be of service as somebody who does that, or we can just keep you. <laughs> 
One of us has been on Zomar. And Zomar said he was funny. It, it wasn't me. Yeah. Yeah, Omar said I was funny because I made a dick joke, so I'm not that proud. That's what he likes. I think that's great. It was cheap, you know, but it was trying to be Oh, no. I think dick jokes are hugely important. I really do. <laughs> I know, hugely important. Somebody called Dr. Freud. But I think anything that we assign value to that nobody's talking about, there is a huge uh, quality in, in talking about it. Why are they so funny? Why is it that we can't stop laughing about jokes about sex, about penis size, all that stuff? It's because deep down on some level, we're afraid. We're afraid of inadequacy. We're afraid that what we do is, is, is like gross or inappropriate on some level. I read something that was talking about how pornography, one of the reasons people love pornography isn't just for sexual stimulants. It's to think, is to get an affirmation that what you do and what you like is okay. So there it is. Look at how many views it has. You're not alone. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? You think it's so weird that, that you like whatever it is you like, and it's okay, you're not alone. Everybody is looking for that. There's the hand of God in pornography. I didn't expect oh, I, to find it there. The other day when you brought up masturbation. Yeah, and I thought you were, I, I'm still not sure if you were joking. I was talking about God and all. Yeah, but we'll skip over that. <laughs> I think, I've heard, I think sex jokes, you know, it's a popular for a different reason. I think it's just sex. You know, from the alien point of view, it's quite amusing. It's absurd. Yeah, absurd. Every comedian at some point in his career will write the joke, sex makes no sense. Because it's the most natural perspective. I think I'm gonna just give it up, it really does no good. It does no good? It's how you got here. Don't. I think I missed that class. Really? <laughs> yeah, don't poo-poo the my bus parents, you rode in on. My parents never talked about sex. We, we never I hate to be the one to break this to you. Your, your parents... <laughs> your parents were real into each other. They, they, how many brothers and sisters? Oh, about 13. 13? <laughs> Catholic Jews? <laughs> They were into it, man. That's what we're here to do. <laughs> Partly. They were my brothers and sisters. Yeah, well, you have a lot of brothers and sisters then. But that's how we all got here. Can I ask you, what, what, what is this? This is it. <laughs> oh, it's like our speed round. <laughs> Did anybody have anything they want to say or share? It doesn't have to be funny. Don't you want to ask Pete, you know, like, what, what's a guy like you doing in a place like this on the spiritual path? Right? <laughs> How he brings together the spirituality with being with a Harlem and Scarlet on this, you know, Bill Maher and Dick Trail, and I don't know what. No offense, but, you know, blah, blah. Val is a high-level Starlet. It could be about anything. It could be for love and serious. Anybody? What I just wanted to say that I, I do improv. Oh, cool. I've been doing improv last two years in Santa Cruz, and uh, Cliff Henderson and Dixie Cox are my Oh. oh, cool. But it, I love giving this because I love everything. Yeah. But I love the improv part because I've been in improv for a few years. Well, you felt it, right? I mean, improvisers talk about when you're in a scene and it starts, they don't use terms like transmission, but they start talking about the scene willing itself over the players, right? You kind of lose yourself in it. Like good lovemaking or, or good music, everything gets blurred into something you know, a man and a woman sit together serving something we do not know. The five improvisers get together serving something we do not know, right? Have you felt that? When it's happening and when it's not happening. What's that? When it's happening and when it's 
And isn't that? No, that's another thing that's unbelievable. Improv is an unwinnable game. You can never be bulletproof. So is stand-up. So is almost anything interesting. So is life. So is life. It's not guaranteed, but if you go to see improv, it'll probably be bad. Like, at least... <laughs> He said like this. Like, bad is getting better. Not bad is good. Bad is getting better. Bad is good. Bad is good. You mean like in the eighties? Yeah. Isn't that now? <laughs> what do you mean bad is good? The bad, you know, people say bad like it's good. Oh sure. And the, the ironic, the, the unexpected twist, but not the earnest, sincere, but is very, um, you know, same thing. Yes. Like yes. it makes you stop and think. Oh. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. What does that mean? Uh, rape is not good, but being a badass is good. Yeah. That's right. I think you're a badass. I don't want to be a goody-goody. Well, thank you. <laughs> I don't want to be a goody-goody. Yes. I don't want to be a goody-goody. Did somebody else have one? Anybody? There's a young lady over here that says the same. Yes. Danielle? Yes, you? Oh. Uh, well. About Chuanza, and, and I had this. What are you saying? And we have a little. Sentence. I was thinking about Chuanza. Chuan, you call me. Oh, Chuanzu. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, the Taoist philosopher of ancient China. Right? Yeah. And, and the yeah. I had a funny thing happen once. I was talking to a guy who um, he's a pretty high guy, and he was in North Carolina, and he's talking to me on the phone. I'm with my dog in my courtyard. And he says, I'm right there with you. And I said, oh, that's nice. He said, no, I'm going to prove it to you. I said, OK. He said, there's going to be a yellow butterfly that comes over the hedge, and I'm going to, and it's me. And I'm going to come over, and I'm going to tickle Joey's nose. And a yellow butterfly came over the hedge and came and tickled my dog's nose. Oh. We could have gone to that modern dance That was bad, yeah. Bad, yeah, sorry. That tickled my head, but he knows. Thank you. Wow. Senyo? The mic is moving in the back. Yes. Hi, as, as for you, um, as someone who so clearly has a soul and is interested in the soul, how do you find it navigating and making a living in Hollywood? It's not that easy. Oh, it's the hit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Yes. I forgot there's that you would hear. <laughs> you know, I'm the oldest son. <laughs> we were talking, it's all show business. Today. I hate somebody who's taller than me. <laughs> We talked about this a little bit on the podcast, actually, after we were done recording. Uh, you, you were like, have a good team around you. I really do think you can kind of create whatever reality you want. I, we live on the east side. It's like the only part of LA I, I've found where no one's ever handed me a script and people discuss things that have nothing to do with uh, awards or, or jobs. There's, there's like a little community that we can walk around and stuff. So I know what you're talking about. There is this lure it's that like you're at the crossroads and you sell your soul to become really good at the guitar sort of story and i've seen that but i really think 
LA is a big enough place that you can kind of construct whatever reality you'd like to see. And there are some people that need to get fired every once in a while. I think that's one of the more important lessons that I've learned. My therapist talks about how big companies, like huge conglomerates, sometimes fire the bottom 10%, and it's not because every year, and it's not because they're not doing their job, it's because they're just not fitting in quite right. And I have to have a certain rigidity with some of the people. You get that bad sense from some people that they're that they're obsessed with their careers. And I know I'm in the ego business, but I think there's a difference to doing it as, a, as play, as a dance, and as, as kind of a joke, as Maharaji just being like, what's it like to be a Hollywood jerk? And experiencing that. And then there's the people that really buy it and believe it and go like, this is real, damn it, show me respect. You know what I mean? I think there's, there's a nice little pocket in here that I keep looking for. It's comfortable and safe that that living living spirit can can dwell there. And when you see the opportunity for even something like an HBO show to be nutritious or to have some sort of message, that that's really exciting. I think it's really fun to find salvation on the on the Sunset Strip or or in Vegas or in some kind of like. I think of Christ with the prostitutes and and the lepers. You know what I'm saying? There seems something familiar about going into kind of an unholy place and finding your footing with a good group. and But the short answer is it's a, it's a daily, it's a practice. Who is with the constitutional lessons? I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> You're fired. Thank you very much. Give us all a hand. Thank, Thank you, guys. Thank you.